If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast, empowering nurses to manage stressors so they can intentionally reconnect with their purpose, optimize their wellness, and ultimately show up in the world the way they want to be seen. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Wendy Garvin-Mayo, your stress solution strategist. In this podcast, you'll receive actionable stress management tips, insightful interviews, and strategies that focus on inspiring you to be your best, do your best, and give your best. With that, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Nurse Wellness Podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today. In this episode, we are going to hear from Elena Vivian, who serves as a manager for quality and outcomes at Methodist Dallas Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, where she oversees their nationally accredited digestive disease and weight management service lines. Elena specializes in and has a passion for clinical research with real-world benefits for patients, staff, and physicians. Over the years, she has designed and conducted dozens of different clinical and public health investigations and works to translate the knowledge gained into continuous systemic quality improvements. I am so excited to have this discussion with Elena. I actually found her because I read an article that she authored titled, A Cross-Sectional Study of Perceived Stress, Mindfulness, Emotional Self-Regulation, and Self-Care Habits in Registered Nurses at a Tertiary Care Medical Center. So I am so excited to delve into this and get an understanding of what made Elena and her team investigate stress, mindfulness, and self-regulation and self-care in registered nurses. So sit back and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Elena. Welcome to the Nurse Wellness Podcast. I'm so excited that you are here and I'm more excited to talk about your research um, article that you did. So can we start off by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Uh, And thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm just really excited about the opportunity to talk about our research. Um, You know, as you mentioned, my name is Elena Vivian. Um, My background is largely in research. Like that's my passion area. Um, It's what I've been doing probably for the last uh, 15 years of my career. Um, Before I was in the healthcare space, I worked in public health um, and we did collaborations with healthcare and things like that, but um, just kind of a variety of different types of research studies and investigations. I just like the process of having a question and kind of going through that and collaborating with teams and things like that to try to 
get an answer to those questions and um, improve the quality of the care that we provide and include, you know, when I was in public health, you know, we were trying to improve the, the, the health of large populations of people. And it was always very meaningful for me to be a part of investigating ways to improve those things. Um, so that's just a little bit about me. Right now, I'm working um, at Methodist Dallas Medical Center. Um, this is a community-based hospital uh, in urban uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, we're part of a larger system, Methodist Health System. We have several different hospitals across the DFW metro area. Um, we particularly serve South, uh, the South Dallas uh, kind of region, which is uh, largely uh, or more Hispanic. Um, um, and the socioeconomic status of a lot of uh, the patients that come to see us are, um, you know, they're at risk, basically. This is an at-risk patient population that we serve. And I think that comes with certain um, pressures and stressors for uh, the staff and the physicians uh, that serve those patient populations as well. Anything else uh, I can tell you about myself before we move on? No, that, that's really good. So you are not a nurse. And I think right. that's the first thing, and I would love to get your take on what inspired you to do this research, looking at nurses, stress, mindfulness, and self-care. Right. I am not a clinician. Um, I'm a researcher, um, but I've, you know, I guess use those abilities kind of translated over into this kind of clinical realm. So what really got us started um, on this particular investigation that we did, we started it and I want to say in late 2018 and we probably wrapped it up in 2019, but um, was a coworker of mine who was a nurse at the time um, and she used to be a bedside nurse and she had been promoted into the role that she had as um, kind of a our service line program manager. We oversee some accreditations and quality programs and different research initiatives um, with some of our service line physicians. Um, but from her time as a bedside nurse, she really recognized the impact that stress um, can have on nurses, on physicians, and on patients. And I think one of the most interesting things that she shared with me at the time was how contagious um, stress can be. Um, so for an example, you know, if a physician um, is in a state and he's feeling a certain way, that can be um, transmitted, uh, so to speak, uh, to, to the nurse who's interacting with him. And that can also be transmitted to the patient. Um, they feel that it's like an energy. Um, so tackling um, and understanding that stress impacts not only just us as an individuals, but everyone that we come in contact with. Um, so she was really interested in investigating, um, kind of establishing a baseline level of our physicians, um, our patients, uh, a certain population of patients, but also our nurses on, on their levels of stress. How did they feel about it? It was something that um, at our particular hospital we had not done before is a, a serious um, survey or um, analysis of, um, you know, kind of nursing stress levels. So that's kind of where we started. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that you say stress is contagious because it really is. Um, and I always, you know, equate it to energy, right? Yeah. When you're stressed, you give off that energy. So you attract that energy, then, you know, so self-regulation is mm -hmm. huge when you're talking about stress management. Absolutely. Um, so what did you find or what was the conclusion of the actual study? And I know you, you can talk a little more about it in terms of 
what uh, departments these nurses were in and how those kind of conclusions equated with that. Because I know emergency room nurses had higher yeah. levels of stress. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Yep. Um, so what we did was basically we put together a survey, but it was kind of made up of a, a bunch of different instruments. Um, I think it took folks about 20, 20 minutes to complete. So it wasn't too time consuming, um, but basically all of the instruments, we included the nursing stress scale, which is just a series of questions specifically about nursing tasks and how nurses um, rated how stressful those tasks made them feel or things that they you know, might've struggled with. So that was one of the instruments. Another thing that we asked about was mindfulness. We used uh, a mindfulness scale to kind of gauge um, their abilities there. Um, Self-care habits, you know, if obviously, you know, if you're in a stress state, other things start to slack off. And one of those things might be how you care for yourself um, and take time for yourself, especially if your attention is diverted in other areas. Um, so we asked them about self-care habits, Emotional self-regulation was another uh, thing. I think that was a really quick um, survey or probably six or eight questions or something like that that can gauge a person a person's um, you know how they regulate their own emotions. And then finally, there was like one question just about perceived stress. So we have the nursing stress scale, but we just want to say one question: How do you feel? Um, how stressed do you feel on today in this moment um, with your job? Um, so we asked all of those questions. We ended up sending out the survey to probably over 900 of anyone with an RN essentially at our facility got the survey. And ultimately we got about 340 responses back out of those 900, which we were really pleased with. You know, um, our nurses are incredibly busy. So we were really grateful that 340 of them took the time, that extra 20 minutes to really give us their feedback on how they were feeling. Um, Getting into more about what we learned um, and, and what you were alluding to as well, what we really saw was nurses working in the ED on our oncology units, uh, on some of the med surge units that were um, responsible for, you know, higher level of care where maybe see a little bit more death um, uh, in their day-to-day -day, uh, work. Those were definitely the units that reported feeling the most stress. And that's understandable. You're, you're dealing with life and death. That, that's a big, big thing. Um, you know, me in my role, I don't have to see that or deal with that on a daily basis, but um, that involves a whole different level of skill and technique and emotional self-regulation. Um, and that was just an interesting thing to look at is those units um, that house those nurses that were really dealing with those most stressful situations. Um, we also saw that younger nurses, um, we kind of categorize it as, you know, kind of the novice level to the uh, all the way, you know, to, to, to those with more experience. Um, the younger nurses definitely reported feeling more, and that's understandable as well. Once you, you're first getting a job, you're first getting your bearings about you, this is a new institution, new coworkers, things like that. Um, obviously, you're going to be um, feeling that stress a little bit differently as you navigate those kind of new pathways. Um, the older, you know, folks that had been in nursing a lot longer probably have um, a lot more coping mechanisms, kind of hard grained into how they can get through each and every day. So that wasn't a surprise to us as well. Um, 
Another thing that we looked at, this wasn't part of the survey, but we also pulled the patient satisfaction scores of all of the units where we got responses. And we were able to get those uh, patient satisfaction scores for all of the units, I think, except for the OR. We also uh, surveyed them, but they don't, you know, they don't tie patient satisfaction scores to the uh, surgical services department. But the med surge units, ED, um, oncology, um, some of our other acute care women's and children's, we all got um, their patient satisfaction scores. And we were just looking for any correlations between um, those patient satisfaction scores and stress levels um, and things like that. Um, we didn't see anything statistically uh, significant in terms of patient satisfaction and uh, some of the instruments that we, we um, poll the nurses with. Um, but the other relationships that were very interesting was the interplay between mindfulness and stress, emotional self-regulation and stress. Those things were highly, and the self-care habits as well. Um, of course, we hypothesize and other research has shown that those things are closely uh, related to one another, but uh, validating that in our nurses here at our facilities really kind of gave, uh, when we gave this information back to our administrators and the nurses themselves and their nurse leaders and things like that, um, it really gave them somewhere to start when thinking about what can we do. Um, what kind of interventions should, what should we do with this data and what kind of interventions would be most meaningful to our nurses? So if we're seeing things like, you know, um, if we tell them, you know, there's a strong interplay between mindfulness and your stress levels, maybe you want to offer some mindfulness training and services to your nurses to be able to manage that. Um, some nurses who um, on the nursing stress survey talked about, you know, uh, interactions with other nurses or interactions with the physicians being their highest source of stress. Perhaps those units might want to focus on team building and empathy and, and those types of um, topics. Um, and each unit was different on, on the things um, that were most uh, stressful for the nurses on those particular units. So they might all be doing different things, but doing something in order to um, work really um, intentionally to reduce the stress levels um, experienced by their nurses. Because as we know, stress and burnout is eventually going to lead to turnover. That's inc uh, that increases the cost of the healthcare facility overall when you have to constantly replace staff, train new staff. Um, you know, um, so this is something I think that was very meaningful to our leaders here at the hospital. They took it very seriously, um, the results uh, and what they wanted to do with those results. So to your question about what's happened since then, um, you know, we've wrapped this up in 2019 and since then several and many units, I would say, um, at least more than five. Um, I know on our med surge units, uh, the oncology, the ED, they've all set up um, spaces for nurses to go, um, dedicated spaces uh, for, for nurses to be able to take a break you know, uh, a real break, not just in the break room where there's a whole bunch of other people around, but they call them like serenity rooms or relaxation stations, things like that, um, where they can go and listen to music, turn the lights out and just sit for a moment. Um, there's massage chairs in some of them. We were just on a unit a couple of weeks ago uh, during one of our joint commission surveys, and they were showing us their relaxation room for their nursing staff. And it was just really cool, all the stuff that they had in there. Essential oils are in there, you know, 
mood lighting, things like that. Um, so it's really great to see um, that the nursing leadership in our administration uh, took the results of these surveys so seriously that they invested back into making sure to provide um, some of those resources back to nurses. Um, another thing that we did provide as well was, um, I want to say this was in 2019 as well, but we actually hired, um, it was part of a, a grant funded study, so it was only a temporary hire, uh, but we did bring in a licensed physical therapist who was very um, into mindfulness and medical therapeutic yoga, and she actually did sessions on some of our nursing units as well. You know, anybody who could attend, come to this session, I'm going to teach you some techniques in breathing or guided imagery and uh, relaxation and things like that. Um, to give them the tools that they could then use whenever they needed it um, on an ongoing basis. Um, and she was also available for like one-on-one -on -one appointments. And so a lot of the nurses said, oh, I've got some staff that just need something. They need something to help them out. And so they would make uh, individual appointments with her and go see her. So we were really thankful to have that opportunity as well and give that service back to our nurses. Yeah, I think it's amazing how all of this started with, with one nurse. Mm -hmm. Right. Had the idea got yeah. the ball rolling. And then I think what's more important is that you had leadership buy-in. Right. Because many times we identify various issues or things we want to implement. But if you don't have leadership buy-in, then it's not going to go anywhere. So Absolutely. I really commend your institution for um, taking the results and actually doing something with it to benefit nurses. And were you able to go back and do a reassessment to see if these interventions were effective in terms of stress management or increase in mindfulness or self-care? Not as, um, not like the first one. So we did this baseline survey. Uh, and like I said, I think we published it in 2019. So since then, we haven't gone back and uh, surveyed them on the same questions to try to see if there have been any change. And especially now post-COVID, it probably wouldn't be a good time to do that assessment anyway, because that's had, that's upended things in ways that we haven't even begun to measure or fully understand yet. Um, but we did do pre and post and I don't have that data and we didn't publish this data, um, but we did do pre and post analyses of the nurses who went to or who had sessions with that physical therapist. Um, it was just really brief questions, you know, before they started, she just asked them, you know, how are you feeling? What's your stress level? Um, what are you struggling with? And what can I help you with? And then after she asked probably same, some of the same questions. Um, we looked at that information internally, but that wasn't something that we published. So we did kind of a short-term pre and post, you know, how do you feel? And it was immediate. So we don't know if those um, benefits that they received from those interventions were sustained um, over time, but that's definitely something, you know, once things normalize a little bit more, um, that's definitely something that we would be interested in going back and looking at again. And I think it's important for our organization, and I think it might be a part of our magnet. You know, we achieved a magnet status here um, at our facility in tw late 2019 as well. Um, and so I think it's important as part of that and just as an organization that we make this something that we do regularly to come in and check the temperature of our nursing staff and our clinical staff and of our patients just to see how they're doing, um, what things pop out at us, you know, in the in the data uh, that we might be able to focus on um, and continually kind of just make it a part of continuous quality improvement um, to look at this. 
Yeah, and I'm going to hypothesize that if you, you know, did that survey now or even last year, that those results would be amplified in terms of stress and, you know, everything else with COVID-19, especially around death. You know, so many lives were um, lost, you know, in COVID-19, whether it was healthcare professionals or patients. So just dealing with death and dying. Yeah around you is just, you know, crazy. Um, so did your institution do anything um, in preparation or around COVID-19, just knowing that, you know, stress levels have definitely increased, burnout has definitely increased. Did you guys implement anything else between like last year and now? Yes. Um, so, uh, and this is something that I learned when we were doing our joint commission call as well, but our pastoral care department um, has been, and they've always been incredibly helpful and beneficial, but they actually started a new uh, initiative or a program where they went on rounds to the units and basically just made themselves available and says, hey, we're here. If people need to talk, we're available, you know, um, and really made themselves a resource. And of course, you know, nurses, any clinical, anyone at this hospital can schedule one-on-one time with them and get counseling and get support and just kind of have a place um, to unload and an ear to unload to and, and just kind of share that. Uh, with, but that's something that's really increased since COVID um, and just making that available. Um, Another thing that I heard um, that they also do is they kind of have these, um, I don't want to call them support groups, but they're kind of like the kind of like a support group. Um, But basically each unit has a, um, and I just don't remember what they call it, but they basically have if, if a traumatic death happens, Um, on their unit and people need a forum to discuss that as a group to share not just one-on-one with another person but as a group hey we're all struggling with this Um, how are you processing this how are you feeling and just having a safe space to share those types of feelings with your colleagues and other people who've experienced the same thing Um, they've implemented that as well on all of our 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 nursing units as well and in all the clinical areas Um, and I've just heard um, you know from safety huddles and things like that the feedback from that has been incredibly beneficial of just giving, you know, we just don't want to offer one outlet for someone. We want to offer multiple ways for people to be able to get the help and the support um, that they need. And it just really increased the sense of probably community uh, amongst nurses and the clinical staff, you know, who are um, affected by those scenarios, you know, a child trauma coming in, a a child, you know, experiencing gunshots and things like that. There are things that some of us, you know, who work here don't ever experience and I wouldn't want to experience them. I don't know how I would handle something like that. But um, knowing that there's a resource available where you can just be honest um, and transparent and vulnerable in your feelings with your, your colleagues and trained pastoral care staff, you know, who are trained to to deal with those deep uh, emotions that linger probably, you know, you can talk about it, but it's probably not something that's just going away. You know, some of that stuff can really stick with you, especially in this time of COVID, like you were saying, just seeing so much death um, and on units that aren't used to seeing a lot of death. 
um, I think our, our facility ended up, you know, we have our ICU and they might be more acclimated to dealing with those, you know, complex cases and things like that. But we opened up probably three additional units just to deal with the overflow of COVID patients that we had um, in our hospital. And I know that they were staff. We had agency nurses, you know, we had to supplement, you know, our staff or whatnot. But I know that a lot of the staff that were on those units were, this was not uh, a death you know, a rate of death that they were used to seeing. Um, and then probably the patient populations that they were used to seeing it in, you know, uh, the, at first it started out, you know, it was really impacting the older population, but as time went on, it was impacting younger people and middle-aged folks just as much. And that's probably something that's jarring as well to see. Yeah, and I, I really like that initiative you're talking about on the floor that people come together, a community, and kind of talk about death. But I also hope that, you know, your institution, along with other healthcare institutions, adopt something like that for nurses to just talk in general. Because yeah. not only yeah. what's happening in the unit, but what's happening at home, you know, mm -hmm. so many things have changed. Absolutely. People are impacted personally by COVID-19, right? So losing family members, friends. Um, so I really hope that we can normalize this conversation about stress, depression, anxiety, because like I always say, nurses are people, we have our own um, things we're dealing with, right? Yeah. So we have our own, you know, diagnosis of depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction, right? right. We're really keeping, um, you know, those outlets of communication open and making them sustainable and normalizing sure. those conversations. Absolutely. So I, I really do commend your um, institution for doing that. Um, and is there any advice you would give another institution um, based on, you know, just your background and, you know, seeing the results of implementing different programs? Is there anything you would tell another Organization. Yeah, um, I think it goes back to your point about um, administrative buy-in, you know, um, starting there, um, really communicating the message um, to them of the financial impacts of burnout and stress that, that that has on an organization and making sure that they really appreciate that impact. I mean, when you bring numbers to them, they're, you know, okay, you've got our attention, we're listening, this is something that we need to pay attention to. Um, I think it was um, easier at our organization because this is who we are as an organization. Um, we have these care commitments that, you know, our organization promotes and we live by these things. Things. Take care of Methodists, take care of our patients, take care of ourselves, and take care of each other. Um, so it was really easy, you know, when you're going to uh, leadership and saying, hey, you know, we want to do this survey and we want to do this initiative. And then when the nursing managers want to, you know, probably additional money in their budget to create these dedicated spaces, it's really probably a lot easier to go to that leadership and say, this is part of our care commitments. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of each other. And in so doing, we're taking care of Methodists and our patients the best possible. You know, this covers all of our care commitments, essentially, by targeting this one thing. Um, so it's just a, really a part of our culture already. And it was just something that we hadn't done in the past. But I definitely see this being uh, uh, something that we continue to do in the future and continue to put our resources and our time into doing. No, definitely well said. Numbers and hitting them in the <laughs> mission, right? This Absolutely. is what set out to do. So this will help in you know these number yeah. of ways. And also patient safety. When you say patient safety, mm -hmm. people just listen differently, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And we know stress and burnout can definitely impact uh, patient safety. Absolutely. So, so that's good. No, this is all great information. So before we wrap up, can I take you through a quick rapid fire? Sure, let's do it. <laughs> awesome. So let me know the first thing that comes to your mind or the first answer that comes to your mind for these questions. Okay. Um, wellness means? The whole person. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is just mind, body, spirit, um, family, those types of things. Yeah. Great. I know I'm stressed when? I want to, I know I'm stressed when um, I'm trying to do something on my computer and it's just a little slower uh, moving than normal because I'm just like reacting over here. Like, oh, why can't I open this document? Why, you know, and it's only a few seconds. But, you know, um, I know that I'm stressed when I'm reacting to really small things in probably bigger ways than I probably should. (laughs) Yes. And my go-to stress management solution is? For me personally, it's prayer. Um, I, I have to take a breath and take a step back and just ask, you know, God, help me out here. Like, um, I'm reacting, I'm being short, I'm being impatient, things like that, and just kind of a recentering exercise for myself personally. Yeah, it's good to know what works for you. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What have you learned about yourself during the pandemic? Oh, man. Wow, that's a good question. Um, what have I learned about myself during The pandemic has like revealed things that we didn't even know were probably in our families, in our relationships, Um, the way that different people responded uh, to the pandemic. You know, there was folks that for a while didn't believe it was a thing and continue to believe that it was a thing and the safety precautions around the pandemic. for me personally, it just kind of revealed um, how I react to those those nuances that I didn't know were there. Um, I don't think if the pandemic happened, I would have never known, um, you know, uh, that people that I respected and family members and things like that would have such different, polarly different responses to that and how I respond to them um, in something like that. It was probably, you know, an opportunity for me to be a leader and to be a voice of reason and of science um, to those. But in some situations, it just really made me angry, you know, Um, and I probably didn't respond um, in the way that I wanted to. Or of course, I can always go back and say, you know, I I didn't handle that conversation as best as I could. And let's take it from a different perspective. So I think the pandemic has really revealed to me um, my own shortcomings, my own weaknesses. Um, in the way that I respond to a stressor that none of us have ever experienced before. I mean, we haven't had a a pandemic to this extent in our lifetime. You know, we read about it. I certainly read about it and studied it when I was in school for public health, Um, but never knowing that we were actually going to live through something like that. You know, you just don't know how you're going to respond to it. So I think that might be the major thing. Yeah, self-discovery and self-exploration. I think everyone, you know, (laughs) has uh, had an opportunity to do that during this pandemic. Um, What is something people get wrong about you? Um, I am, and this is probably something all introverts would say, but I'm very, I'm a, I'm not the first person to say 
anything, you know, in meetings or in, I'm a thinker. I have to think about things and I'll hear some information. I need to take it in. Let me think about that and ponder it. Um, so I, I, I often feel like people um, mistake, you know, my quietness or um, my introversion as me kind of being standoffish or, or not wanting to engage when I'm really observing and, you know, um, taking in all of this information and just trying to make the best determination depending on what that situation might be. But I often feel like that's that's usually what people get wrong about me. But of course, over time, you know, when you get to know me and um, spend some time with me, um, uh, folks can see that, you know, me being quiet in a meeting or me being quiet in a setting is not me being disengaged from it. It's, it's just my personality, you know? I'm just <laughs> one of those people who likes to observe um, before contributing, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Right, don't be so quick to pass judgment. Get to know who I am. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I should we- be used to that by now, but it's still, you know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for this opportunity. I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to come in here and and share our experiences and share the great things that we're doing at our facility. Um, It's a new day. Every new day is a a new uh, opportunity to do better than you did the day before, um, to learn something that you didn't do so great yesterday. And that's an ongoing, lifelong, you know, you're never going to be 100%. So there's just always this new opportunity as the sun comes up each day to start over again. Awesome. And our last question is, mm-hmm. when was the last time you had a belly laugh? Oh, a belly laugh. What was funny? I, I would have to say yesterday. And I was completely by myself <laughs> laughing about some episode of a TV show that I had been watching um, there's a show, Curb, um, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm, and there's this scene in the show, and I just, I don't know what made me think of it, and I really just, by myself, in my bedroom, cracked up laughing, thinking about this, and I tried to go pull it up on Amazon or whatever, and it wasn't playing, but it gave me a, a, a real laugh. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and your insight, and thank you for all the research you're doing for us, I think this can, you know, all the results you got can be a learning experience for people across the nation or even the globe. So thank you so much for your efforts. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out and and just giving us the spotlight, being able to highlight all the great stuff. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. Between episodes, you can follow the Nurse Wellness Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Before you go, I would love to share a free mindfulness ebook with you. Go to stressblueprint.com backslash 35 and download your free copy. Until next time, go out and be your best, do your best, and give your best. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Hopeful Hints, hosted by Dr. Tara, guides and supports those on the often challenging and isolating journey of women's health concerns and infertility. There's a particularly powerful episode that you should check out called All Things Endometriosis, which dives deep into understanding the condition 
to help the many women who suffer from endometriosis and have no idea they have it, and healthcare providers who are uneducated about it, making the diagnosis process so difficult. Check out Hopeful Hints on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.